Good morning. God is great, and He is our Savior God, who sees deep into our hearts, but wants us to see deep into His heart, so He might be our everything. May that be the way you are able to leave today after you've heard this word from Him. Amen. If you look at, for a minute, in the bulletin, because we're not going to put it up on the slide just yet, the, the scripture for today, it's on page 7, you'll see on the first line the word Ezra. Ezra was a priest, a clergy type, a seminary-trained man, one of the unsung heroes of the Old Testament who has a book named after him who wrote chronicles and was the bridge between two generations, one who had seen the temple destroyed and then died in captivity, and another who had come back and rebuild the temple. Ezra had been in Jerusalem for 10 years as the priest guy, the clergy guy, the seminary guy, and he had never had a gathering like you're going to see him have today. And he's found here, look where the text is, in the book of what? Nehemiah. Who's that guy? He is a layman. He hasn't been seminary trained. He doesn't have any of the, the highfalutin places in the, in the organized religion of his day. He was a great leader who spent a lot of time reading the Bible and it wasn't easy to get his hands on it because they were in scrolls on very priceless paper. But he was a man of means because he was high, high in the cabinet of the Persian emperor way over in Iraq. He was his, his cupbearer, but he was an Israelite and he loved God and he loved God's word. And his life had been rebuilt inside. And while he lived a very full and successful life in Iraq, his heart was in Jerusalem because he knew that was where God's temple was and God's people and God's destiny for the whole planet, God's plan of love and salvation. And he found out the walls were torn down, and so he was weeping and sad because he read in the Scriptures that that's exactly what would happen if Israel left God, and he knew his time. He reframed it. It wasn't just some squirmish between two worldly powers, his being the pipsqueak Israelites and Persia. No, God, the God of heaven, the God of the universe, was disciplining his own people. And Nehemiah, he confessed it to God. His life was rebuilt around the truth that God is constant in his keeping his promises, even if it's a promise to spank you or to restore you. And he knew deep down when nobody else could tell him that because of the word of God, he was to be a part of that restoration. So he begged off and he got over there and he built the walls in 52 days. He got people who had never seen his face before or heard his Iraqi accent. He got them to build the walls around Jerusalem with him. Each man and his family building right by where their house was. They were organized and they were rallied around a man. A layman. And Ezra, the priest, had never got to preach to a crowd like this before. Not in Israel. But because of a layman who had the burning love of God's word in his heart because his life had been rebuilt, 
And he had the people's heart too. And he'd done a great thing to restore Israel. Because of a layman, Ezra got to preach to thousands. And he had an audience. It wasn't too long ago, he was sitting in a pastor's leadership, meeting all pastors, leaders in our district. And one of them said, you know, the hard part right now is getting an audience. Just to get people to come in and listen. Ezra had to feel that way. An amazed Ezra stood up on a platform that they built. Thirteen priestly kind of guys, Levites, standing with him. Others sprinkled out in the crowd, setting the people down. They didn't have microphones like this in closed buildings with air control. They go, shh, he's talking. He's reading the Bible, the law of Moses. Remember, priceless documents. Not everybody had them. This was strange but strangely wonderful for everybody. And wherever there is the Word of God, there is life. It's called the living Word of God. Even if it's like an Old Testament, five, first five books of the Bible with a whole lot of laws. Because God's Word is living and powerful and sharper than a two-edged sword piercing down to the soul division of the soul and spirit at the joint and marrow. And these people who'd been living kind of ragtag worldly lives and you don't have to be rich to be worldly they were rebuilt from the inside when they listened to Ezra we think of Nehemiah we think of a man who built walls around Israel we're going to go to the next slide it's the slide about cleaning out the houses in Houston did you see any of those pictures here's one House after house, three, four feet of water, everything's ruined. So they had to put it all on the curb. You're not going to get that rebuilt until you clean those houses out. Our own Christian aid and relief was a little too late for that. The churches themselves and all the people around Houston, though, they started cleaning out their own houses and everybody ganged up together and they were relieved to get it out of the house and the stench and the stink. Well, that's kind of a picture of what the Israelites felt like when Ezra was preaching to them. You know, they, they didn't quite know what they were facing with all of their problems until God's Word shined a light on it. And then they realized they'd been living selfish, aimless, gossips, not loving their neighbor, not keeping God's ceremonies, no, no preaching going on, no help for the heart. And they, they were feeling guilty and blame and and. All kinds of inner turmoil, and they had to, with Ezra reading that word, they had to move it all out to the curb. So let's look at the first reading of the text and listen to what happened. And as God rebuilds them in the past, His word is living enough to rebuild you today, if you'll let it. Then Nehemiah the governor, Ezra the priest and teacher of the law, and the Levites who were instructing the people, said to them all, This day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep. For all the people had been weeping as they listened to the words of the law. Not many of you cry in church. Angela does. Because she's expressive and her heart is filled with joy or sorrow and you can't really tell and you don't care because you just love to see her into it. Most of us are stoic Europeans of the European descent but we know what it's like to feel the law don't we or we wouldn't be here today 
We know what it's like to feel God touching our heart deep when we hear the word taught directly to our heart. One of our pastors on our conference of presidents is writing for a pastor's magazine. And he said, guys, give me some ideas. And I said, give them five things to, about preaching. And one of the five's got to be preached to the heart. You know when God's preaching to your heart. Ezra was preaching to their heart and they were crying. It's not wrong to cry. It's healthy. Some psychologists would say, please, no, no, no. No, don't be giving people guilt trips. Well, maybe that's what we need sometimes is to feel guilty about what we ought to feel guilty about, right? At my son's football game yesterday, they, they brought the president of the college out on the field and they gave him an award. And it was because he was removing the stigma of certain mental illnesses on their campus, which I think is wonderful. But one just sort of struck me. I was sitting next to Pastor Belter when they said it. They said, he's helped remove the stigma of suicide. And I, you could take that two ways, right? I thought, <laughs> I want suicide to have a stigma. It's a terrible thing to do to yourself or your family. I don't want them to remove that. It's like in our culture, we're afraid to hurt over sin. Don't be afraid to hurt. Ezra read the law and they cried. And they wept and they mourned. And it's cleansing. That's God cleaning out the rubble in your heart. When you get serious with him, it's ugly to look at. In Wisconsin, they have a rehabilitation program for criminals. They meet with their victims. If it's all, everybody's voluntary. The criminal and the victim has to be volunteering. But they meet together, and he has to face the pain and the hurt that he caused them and their family so he can rehabilitate himself, be rehabilitated. It's healthy to cry over sin. And as Ezra was reading, and the Levites were explaining how far off they'd been, they were being cleansed, pushing that rubble to the street. But you're only halfway home when that happens. And a lot of people don't know that. They think, well, that was it. You know, I got convicted and it felt really good. And uh, now I'm better. Whoa. What did Nehemiah say to them? He said, this is a day for joy, and the joy of the Lord is your strength. Nehemiah said, go and enjoy choice food and sweet drinks. Don't be crying and send some to those who have nothing prepared. This day is holy to the Lord. Do not grieve, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. The Levites calmed all the people, saying, be still, for this is a holy day. Do not grieve. Um, if, if you, I'm going to help you with this. I had to get help with this. This is the first day of Nisan. It's a day of trumpets, the Feast of Trumpets, and it's kind of like Christmas. So when you come to Christmas service, you don't want us to stand up here and just make you cry over your sins, right? It's a festival day. And so on. they didn't even know about the feast days anymore. They hadn't been taught that well. But they're kind of out of sync with the worship pattern while they're crying in sync with the Holy Spirit. So Nehemiah is helping them. A layman is helping them saying what? Rejoice because Nehemiah knows something about God that in their conviction over their sins, they can't see right then. And God give us preachers, laymen and pastors and priests alike that know something that a guilty conscience can't see 
because we need them to preach the light back into us. Nehemiah didn't know Jesus on the cross. He knew the sacrifices. He knew a gracious God. He had been steeped in the Bible. And the Bible that, if you knew Nehemiah really well, the first chapter when he prays to God, he knows that God, who also promised to spank his people, and that's what he was doing, promised to restore them in his mercy if all they would do is turn their face toward him in repentance because his grace was already there for them. It's objective grace. It's not dependent upon their turning. It's just there. And he was ready to forgive. So Nehemiah, it's very cryptic here. It's very short. You don't really see him preaching the cross. But what he's doing is preaching grace because he knows that the God they're mourning in front of is a loving, gracious God. And dear Christian, that's always who is surgically making you cry over your sins, is a loving, gracious God. He only uses the law to restore you as a child of God by first cleaning out the rubble and leading you to repentance the first half. But the second half is to believe that He has forgiven it and that He's still with you. And the evidence in one small way that you are still forgiven is that you haven't been struck dead and fried to a critter the sinner that you are you're sitting here hearing his word and you know your thoughts and sins you confessed them in silent prayer today again and if you're like me while you were confessing them you were thinking he's not even going to give me enough time to say them all and god is gracious And the first thing your pastor, staff minister did as soon as you lifted up your head was say what? You're forgiven. Joy. We we nail this thing about law and repentance a lot in the Lutheran church, right? We think we nail the grace a lot but me thinks we think wrong sometimes. <laughs> the human soul is familiar with guilt, but not familiar with grace. And we need to hear the grace of God over and over again because we live on this side of the cross. Nehemiah lived before it. When Nehemiah says to us, the joy of the Lord is your strength and don't mourn or cry, we should be thinking, don't ever leave the communion rail where Christ's body and blood is given to you with a sad face. Your sins have been washed away. So have your brothers and sisters and your mothers and your grandmas and your friends. We should never leave church where a little baby got new life and salvation feeling like this was just oh hum service. Just glad we finally have babies coming back in here. Grace is beautiful and wonderful and God wants us to live in the joy, honest about our sins, willing to cry over them, but living in grace. And that's what's so beautiful about a true worship at Good Friday is that you stare at that cross and you feel sad and happy at the same time. That God would love you so much that his son would take all your sins away. And the joy of the Lord is your what? Look in the middle of the passage. What does it say? The joy of the Lord, verse 10, what does it say? The joy of the Lord is your what? Strength. Strength is not in being sad and contrite. Strength is being in forgiven and rejoicing over mercy. It's, it's the, what God does with his word to restore a life. 
That's what got Nehemiah out of Iraq. It wasn't that he was, he cried if you look at chapter 1. He mourned for days, it says, over the walls being torn down and knowing that God was doing that to his people. But it says he got up, he went, he asked the king if he could go, and he built the walls and he had a whole lot of adversity. Just read it, it's not a very long book. And the whole time, what was his strength? The joy of knowing that he was a redeemed sinner, not a condemned or disappointing sinner. He was loved and redeemed. What's your strength in your religious life? Do you live in the strength of knowing I am a forgiven, washed clean child of God? And I know you live among people and there's critics in your own home. I'm one of them in my home. And we, we tend to put that on each other. And we think about where we stand and all that. Wash that to the curb and live in the joy of being a forgiven child of God. And you'll sense the strength like Nehemiah had. It's beautiful. And you know what that strength will make you do? It'll make you look past yourself to other people. It's all coming very fast in this Bible text. Nehemiah says, The joy of the Lord is your strength. But did you catch what else he said for them to do? Nehemiah said, Go and enjoy choice food and sweet drinks. Have Thanksgiving dinner and send some to those who have nothing prepared. See how fast it comes? And they did it. They went and they shared. In verse 12, if you look down, it says, All the people went away and they ate and they drank to drink and to what? Send portions of food and to celebration. That's all it says. Just right there, little bitty, just kind of flashes through. In this day when attention spans are about eight seconds, you ought to be able to catch that. They were told by their lay leader, who was filled with God's word, be generous. Now this is a day, remember, there's no refrigeration. Most of the people are living hand to mouth. When they say you've got extra, it's because for that day you may have two loaves of bread, but you might not next week. And he's telling them to give to their neighbor. In the, a joy-filled heart loves to be generous with people. That's just the way it is. You quit looking at yourself so much and you find out the meaning of life. I love to go back to it, but remember that old Christmas carol and the Scrooge wakes up the next morning and he's been so stingy before and then he's sharing with everybody. A generous heart flows from the grace of God that's cleansed a person out to other people. Uh, This is one of those pictures of waterfall that I like because it shows its stair step down and there's pools. To me, this is a picture of a Christian. You are one of those pools of water that the love and water of God has come down to, but you can't contain it. If you are cleansed regularly and loved regularly and believing regularly, it's not just an event like one time swimming pool in a big concrete bucket in the back of your yard but it's a river flowing into a pool and keeps flowing as you come here as you read your bible as you grow in faith as you be taught by the ezra's who have nehemiah's around them that provide a building for us to preach in and you are those nehemiah's and we keep going through the grace of god it fills up your pool and it drains out over into the lives of other people and they can see it And it blesses them. It blesses the people in here. 
and it blesses the people that you live out there with. If, if it's not happening that way, that's between you and God. You need to sit before Him. So, you might call Nehemiah chapter 8 their generosity Saturday, if, if it was a Saturday. We're calling one Sunday a year Generosity Sunday. Man, though, you know what really scares me? If you, one of two things happens to you, they, it scares me. If one is, you start thinking, oh, this is about the fourth year we've done Generosity Sunday. And what they really want over at the church house is a pledge from me. And they're using, they're baiting me with the word generosity so I'll make sure I give my pledge to church. Oh, you t- you've, in- you've, you've completely missed it. And you're speaking negatively to your own soul, which, by the way, usually we're the one that hurts our own soul the most. By the way we speak to ourselves, you're way off. The other bad thing is if you feel like, well, they call it Generosity Sunday, so once a year i got to be generous. (laughs) Or maybe twice or three times, Christmas and Thanksgiving. You know, that's when all the food banks get all their stuff is on the big days. They say we really hurt during all the other times of the year. We do that as people, don't we? But if it's flowing today, if you're a, a member of the flock, you know what I'm talking about. You got your little white envelope and you're ready to say, hey, during this coming year, so you can plan for this place to be able to have Ezra's in it and Ezra's going out between Sundays to lead Bible study and lead our flock and equip the saints. I am going to be a part of that. I'm going to build my section of the wall with my Nehemiah because I'm Nehemiah with him. And you're just saying, I just want to be generous to my Lord who's so generous to me, and I get it. And you can do it with joy and a full heart and expectation that there's going to be stories in the next 12 months about people whose lives were changed by the Word of God because of the generosity of His church called Holy Word. Man, you are where you need to be. And then this day is good. And then I can say to you, Don't mourn or cry. You're a redeemed sinner. You're forgiven. Live in the joy of grace. But also, share the grace because the grace you have for you is more fun and exciting when you actually get to share it with other people. And if you believe in what we're doing here and how we're helping people and how lives are changed, then if you give an envelope that says, this is how I'm going to support it. Remember, that's you doing the work of the Holy Spirit. Who was it that blessed Israel with the word of God that day? Ezra or the layman, Nehemiah? It was Nehemiah and Ezra that God said, You must work together, and I'm going to build Israel again. Remember that when you see us clergy dancing around up here, speaking to you God's word. If it were not for you, we wouldn't be here trying to build up your heart. Amen.